Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 2, entitled Before the Law. Uh, what did you think of this episode, Aaron? Uh, this show kind of continues to blow me away. I okay. was amazed at the amount of drama that they were able to get out of situations where rationally I knew there was nothing that was going to happen. <laughs> All right. you know, Because it's too early? Because like, it's like... Like with Jesse Plemons and yeah, Lou Lou. rolls in on Jesse Plemons with with fingers rolling everywhere and heads in the windows and stuff. There's palpable tension. I don't give a shit about fat Jesse Plemons, (laughs) and I know Lou survives this season. Sure, yes, and 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 it's too early to slap the cuffs on Ed, right? Right, right. Yeah, but But you're right. There's the whole time I'm just like, oh my god, and uh, yep. And then when you throw in a situation like. Where there actually is stakes, like Ted Danson, you know, pulling over Mike or setting up their Mike roadblock. That's the thing, right? Ted could. I would fully believe the sheriff uh, Larson could die this episode because the old sheriff died in like the first fucking episode, and they killed off uh, Kieran Culkin already in the first episode. So yeah, I'm thinking anybody but Lou can die here, right? I felt like uh, Sheriff Larson felt like he could die. I mean, and that's though. I think that's what separates this show from a good show is like the. The show of Larson walking back to his car and him being genuinely rattled. Like, he – we kind of got that a little bit with his okay. Uh, Uh But seeing him kind of like blow out a ragged breath and gather himself once he finally could not be brave. You know, he could start to piss his pants a little bit. (laughs) I I don't know, man. I think this show is great. And just some of the shots have – no right to be as pretty as they are. I'm thinking oh, yeah, of the cinematography is great. When the uh, when Bear's son goes into Uncle Dodd and he's torturing that guy, mm-hmm. and that scene is just lit so amazingly in the barn, and then in the whole backdrop is that gate with the slats and the lights pouring through it, and you got these animals looking around like it's the baby Jesus in a manger, mm-hmm. and yet they're cutting off a man's ears. I, I I don't know this this show is just just oozes quality i agree i agree i'm thoroughly enjoying it um i mean we're probably going to talk a lot about what we like about this i want to talk up front just real quick about something that i didn't totally dislike but just kind of bugged me a little bit and I, I just didn't care for it in the episode and it's this search for rye right we know we know rye's dead uh I just felt like you're right. The That's... scenes where they were they were talking about we need to find Rye and like setting everybody up. I get what they're doing. They're setting up confrontation between these different factions that are all looking for Rye. Gotcha. Makes sense. The police, Kansas City, Gerhardt's, everybody's looking for Rye. But I I didn't care to see the scenes where they were talking about let's find Rye because it just it felt to me like they drug they they drug on. All right. Well, I got a couple of responses. Okay. Even and... if even if I grant your premise. Mm-hmm. Um, a devil's advocate position would be this is essentially the Martian dust storm like that you know we we talked about the movie The Martian and it begins with this dust storm that causes a bunch of havoc yeah yeah and you come to find out that that's physically impossible to happen on Mars okay but if you sit down and rack your brain how could you the rest of the movie is so good uh, you need an engine to start that up you need you need yeah. you know like a pull start lawnmower you got to jump start that thing sure do you swallow the giant scientific inaccuracy and blunder yeah. of the premise just so you can get the rest of the oh so good science and the shit out of things 
Yeah. I guess I do. I, I'm, so I'm, I'm saying that this it. hunt it just, for Rye is a way to bring these unrelated parties into sure. collision later on. So I Certainly. kind of am willing to accept it on that. But also, to the extent that I care about what's going on with Ed and Peggy, mm-hmm. it's this storm cloud that, I mean, they're already doing an immoral, illegal act. Yeah, but they think this is just some like I'm I'm assuming they don't know who the Gearhearts are. Which, Probably not. Yeah, which I don't know if I buy that if they're the local big bads. But then again, he was way we're we're dealing into. I haven't quite got the geography. Like his boss might know. Maybe, who the but, they, but are, also maybe. he was a ways away out of his way. Yeah, you know, like there's stuff taking place in Wisconsin or stuff taking place in North Dakota. This judge is from North Dakota. I don't think yeah. she was in Wisconsin. So he's well out of his kind of like backyard territory. Yeah. But they already are doing this, this, this wicked thing. And they don't even know that like, not only did you run over some dude and you concealed it and you're grinding mm-hmm. up his body, but also he was the son of an important crime. Like you just, you just killed Sonny. Well, Fredo. Fredo. You just killed Fredo (laughs) Corleone. Yeah, yeah. Not only did you just kill a dude, and that's bad, but you also killed the Godfather's son. That's even worse. Sure, And that constant reminder of everyone's looking for Rye. And and there's one more thing. One one more leg to my counterpart, the argument. I don't have an argument here. Let's make that very clear. (laughs) I just don't care for it personally. It it made these scenes drag. I also think... I also think that Rye – I'm trying to figure out what Rye's importance is because it seems that they're hinting that Rye was more important than we were led to believe. Like his brother makes some statements about like, I, yeah, I can get the distributors to go along, but yeah. it would be more – it would be a lot easier if we had Rye. Like maybe Rye is – you know, Bear is a terrifying, hard-to-relate-to man – Sure. Dodd is kind of more a bit more of a dandy, but he still is this severe, scary person. Maybe rise to every man that had the gift of gab. He's like the better call Saul part of the family that made all the smoothed out all the day to day relations with the blue collar guys. I don't know. Yeah, what it felt like to me is they were setting up so so the Like Rise super mom... popular with the, the rank and file dudes, maybe. I think so. Yeah, there, there's something about Rise's relationship with this business that makes it work. And also, uh, you, and, and, and the mom yes. is being set up as the counterpart, right? There, there needs to be that person on both sides of this family yes. war. Like Rai, and was I think the key. mom has a piece of that. Sure. Rai had a piece of that, and without Rai, he's not going to be able to control the business if he decides to take out mom. You know? Yeah, like like Rye maybe had the lower operations like on friendly basis, and Mom has it seems like all the really important upper level connections. Yeah, yeah, which puts Dodd in a very uncomfortable position of being the man in the middle. Sure, and also and without a leg to stand on, as Rye's dead. <laughs> yeah, right. And and two episodes in, he just seems so dumb. Like not dumb, like duh, dumb, but going against his mother seems like a really stupid thing to do. Just seeing these two interact, particularly at this moment, yeah. And how everyone is underestimating the mom. Mm-hmm. That that would be a useful thing to exploit because their mom seems formidable. Oh yeah, totally. the The impression I get of her is very much like I've kind of been helping run this business in the background anyway, and it's such a natural progression for me to just step in and. Not a beat will be missed here. No, we'll, I mean, we'll just continue on exactly how we were before. I get real Mags Bennett vibes from her. Yeah, which is incredibly high praise. If you never sure. saw Justified, sure. Mags Bennett was the best thing to ever happen on the show. Uh-huh. So 
I am excited. It seems like that we're heading toward a tragedy where this family empire that was built from a shoeshine box is going to be taken down by a, a, a doofus in a leather jacket and a cab driver's hat. Wait, is that the the lawmen here, or is that... <laughs> no? Seriously, <laughs> there are two factions, right? Like you yeah. got the KC guys, and then you got the law as well. well. And the other thing I thought was interesting is when I came into this episode and I saw the meeting at the Gerhards, and you know everybody filing past each other and kind of mean mugging. I got the instinct impression with Mike and whoever Ray Romano's brother is, Joe Joe Bulo. Like you guys are really underestimating these Gerhards. Like yeah, yeah. this, you you're gonna walk right into a shit show. This is gonna be essentially the plot of a snatch, uh, where mm-hmm. the pig farmer just completely discounts the Pikes and suffers mightily for it. By the end of the episode, I'm thinking, I don't know, man. Maybe Mike is right to be this cocky as shit because he seems smart as hell, mm-hmm. super dangerous, super calculating, you know, rightfully aware of his place in the world and where he fits into it. Oh, yeah. The the Kansas City guys seem formidable for sure. Uh, but I don't know that the Gerhards aren't. You know, I know, we haven't seen enough of them to really But their know house yet. divided is the problem. Th- like, that even is if the they're problem. formidable, yes. the fact that, like, if they all... I feel like right now, if they all threw in behind the mom, yeah. game over. Kansas, It's, it's going to be a tough match, but Kansas City is going to get beat decisively. <laughs> With this division, it seems a foregone conclusion that Kansas City is going to mop them up. I, I mean, again, we're just two episodes in, but... Who are you rooting for here? Dot or the mom? The mom. Because okay. I feel like she is the smart one, and I I tend to naturally f- go in with the smart one over the yeah, bravado, over the tough one. Sure, I'm I'm with you. I think like the- like for example, I think Dodd. Like if we're gonna we're gonna take the conclusion to its natural, you know, the Godfather analogy. Like Dodd is Sunny. Yeah, he's gonna beat someone in the streets, and, the mom, and it's all gonna come back on him. And 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 the mom is either uh, the 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 Godfather or she's Michael. Either way, either way, odds. yeah, or maybe <laughs> she's both, and you, Sonny's super fucked. Yeah, but I don't know where Bear. Like, I, I thought even Bear seems smarter than Dodd, which I did not get immediately. I mean, when he, when he's like, "Oh, you think it should be?" He's like, "No, stupid, it should be Mom." I'm like, "Yes, yes." He's drinking his half the cave, and half. <laughs> the caveman drinking cr- cream right out of the udder knows uh-huh. more about the world than you do, Dodd. Yeah, well, it, it strikes me as Dodd being. Kind of, this is the moment he's been waiting for, right? Like, yeah, this isn't necessarily his old a man's not getting him. any younger, and yeah. he's been doing the day in and day out, and kind of been. And he's the enforcer. not getting any younger too. I mean, I don't. He's not old. He maybe forty, if that. Yeah, he looks. He looks fairly young still, but I I don't know he how feels much like I he's believe. ready. He feels, yeah. Yeah, of course he feels like he's ready. If he was 19, he would feel like he's ready, right? Yeah. And I think <laughs> like that's also... That's how it works. Like, I thought... So what did you think about this? When his mom was making him eat the, the pretzel roll or whatever the fuck that <laughs> Which thing was. Which, she just cooks in bulk. Like, she's baking bread all the time. It must sure. be. She's got shelves of it. Uh, but she's making him... And I thought she just had unquestionable moral authority. I'm like, you know, when she's telling this guy to eat and telling him to sit down and, like, putting him into the little boy corner... And they had that jostling over who's going to sit at the head of the table. See, I thought that might annoy you, this passive-aggressive sit-at-the-head-of-the-table bullshit. 
No, I thought you don't it like was, that passive aggressive stuff. Uh, I thought it was funny, and then then he's it like, was. "Whoa, okay, I'm gonna sit at the foot of the table. Now it's the head. Boom. Exactly. Yeah. I thought that was pretty good, and I actually, and it creates this space between them too, visually, right? Yes, thematically, it works really well. I actually thought that he was going to listen to reason, but then she huh. said, "I think where he decided fuck you uh, was when she said, I will hand you." your legacy mm. or something along those lines. Like he wants to take it. Yeah. He doesn't want to be handed or to be, he, 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 that, that kind of backed up his pride. I think she almost carried the day, but I think she was trying to be reassuring and like, look, I don't really want this family. I want to get I'm this not certain. I, I believe her. I I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on that. Like, I don't know if she steps down as soon yeah, as this crisis I, is over or when, when does the crisis end? Right? Like, how long is the, there going to be a crisis that requires her attention? You're right. I believed her, but I don't know why I did. I, I mean, if I'm completely honest, it's probably for subconscious sexist reasons of that I just assume she's an old woman and she's got... Mom's not going to lie to you. <laughs> yeah, when she's got pizza, she's got pretzel bread to bake and, That's you know, true, yeah. cheese and all these other domestic things. And, yeah, so you're right. I I got hornswoggled by my own... Uh, Maybe so. My I own got... biases. I, I don't know. I didn't totally believe her there. Huh. Power has a way of corrupting. Sure. <laughs> sure. And she gets a taste of that, and she might not want to let go of it. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, maybe that was kind of her relationship with her, with, with the, um, you know, Colonel T- Ty, yeah. is that he was the hothead impetuous, because it seemed like that's where they, he was going when he had a stroke. I think so, And yeah. she was the one who was always like, yes, we need to defeat these people, but we can't, you know, we need to be smart about it and build consensus and all those other things. I, it's The family dynamic is fascinating. And also, I don't know why, but I also think it's fascinating when you see obviously rich and powerful people living like pioneers on the homestead. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're, they're not dressing flashy. Their house is not you know okay but kind of ran down and ramshackle and they're still doing farming and shit like uh, like sure amish mafia type stuff i don't know why but i think that is fascinating not to show amish mafia that's bullshit but (laughs) that kind of feel uh yeah i get it i get you even even like say it's the same the godfather i guess he had that big uh what did they call it the mall or the plaza but it was fairly modest for what he was capable of yeah, probably. And then maybe that was one of the problems with if we want to turn this into Godfather cast, that was one of the problems with Michael. He wanted to move out and get the big lakeside mansion and be flashy and sure. He did it upright. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean so to some extent it's like she's talking about this empire and all that stuff. It's like why do you build why would you build an empire and then hide it from the world? I mean, that's a smart I mean, criminal it's... thing to do, but at some point, you I've, I've always been fascinated by guys like Walter White and, you know, the Gerhards, where they're essentially a piling wealth and power, but for no – because, like, they can live their lifestyle probably just having a farm in Wisconsin, that size yeah, farm, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, there, there's something to be said for just having something like that, right? Even if – I mean, a lot of people – have wealth and power and don't need to show it off. And I feel like that's that's who these people are. Do you think some people are just born with giant chips on their shoulder and that, that drives them in a way that I just can't understand? Well, I mean, I guess it's the difference between proving it to yourself and proving it to someone else. Um, but how often if, do you if have you to you can prove be self-assured, that, you know, like... 
before it's like, do you not have any other passions? Do you not want to travel? Do you not want to, you know, sure. start racing cars or what? I mean, whatever it is, like a uh, bear. Don't you want to go become a show champion axe thrower or yeah, <laughs> Dodd? I mean- <laughs> don't you want to start your career as professional Jim Carrey impersonator? Well, some people like, are singularly focused like that, right? Like yeah. they build something. They want to continue to build that. Those thing are the Steve and- Jobs of the world. And that's why. Exactly. Yeah. I'm uh, plugging a white bald move. They, they don't want to be the uh, <laughs> world's best archer. They don't want to be yeah. uh log roll competition guy. <laughs> yeah. They just want to build their criminal empire. And I, there's something that I envy about that. There's something that I find uh, depressing about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's different strokes for different folks, you know. I want since we're talking about Bear here a little bit. We met his son, and he's got some physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd say Bear is like most strapping physical specimen of the family. Yeah, and but what? And I wouldn't even comment on this except for Mike was given this analogy about the brothers being two different lobster claws. Yeah, yeah. Like one is the crushing claw, and one's the pincher claw, which I thought was kind of interesting. And in, in relation to the guy's kind of like flipper hand or whatever, does what's going on there? Is his hand CG in this? I don't think he's really got really? problems with his hand, right? I this don't actor, know. it's hard to tell. Like after I, I saw, it looked like some scenes they really fucked with his fingers, and other scenes they. didn't. I mean, it could. Like, like I saw American Horror Story Freak Show last year, and it's yeah. Uh, kind of hard to tell the legitimate freak from the manufactured ones to be to be honest i'm not calling him a freak no but I, I get what you're saying yes yeah. yes i'm only using they, this they in use... context of more eric horror story okay i just wanted to give you an opportunity to say that carnival performers uh but it, i don't know i'm i'm the lobster claw thing was very much like which one has the power right yeah, I just thought and it was interesting the emphasis claw. they put on the dude's hands opening the letters yeah, yeah. and all that and the and and then making that kind of uh analogy. I I don't know what it means. I and I, he doesn't like his he seems like he's giving very bullshit roles in in the family. Like he hasn't yeah, done he's anything. He's the letter opener. Come on. But he knows that his his uncle's torturing dudes in the barn too. Yeah. So I wonder what they're going to do with kind of the mama's boy or is he going to be key to the season somehow? Hmm. And the family struggle? I don't know. He's going to have to make an important know. decision about who to shoot and who not to shoot at some point? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Too early to say, I think. Okay. Uh, how about this? The guy playing Mike. Playing uh, Mike. What's his name? What's his last name? I have no idea. He's Mike, Mike. Milligan or something like that. Uh, he's doing a killer Dave Chappelle doing a white guy voice. <laughs> So that's all I can think when I hear his voice. I think he's doing a killer Dave Chappelle guesting on Key and Peel doing a black Republican skit voice <laughs> is what okay. I think. Because it's a that's subtle like, level deep. There's something uh, Dave always puts a little lame or weak into the white guy impersonation. I think that's kind of yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like black guys be like this and white guys be like this. And there's none of that. Like this guy is no, not no, no. soft at all. No, he's scary. Uh, So he's got that kind of slightly square edge and he's like politically involved and talking about this great country mm-hmm. um like he would vote for ronald reagan so that's why i guess i'm going with the black republican but yeah no okay. there is a lot of <laughs> like if if dave i you, haven't you, seen that skit so i i don't know what you're talking about damn it i should if i'd known that we should have watched it but i think that like you see those commercials where um like uh i forget who is uh 
Chris Paul. He's a uh, plays basketball and he's like good, mm. a really good point guard. And there's a State Farm version, like they're separated at birth. And like Chris Paul, the blas- basketball player, played basketball, but then his other brother became an insurance agent. Looks just like him, okay. But he wears like a cardigan and glasses and all that. I feel like that's the Dave Chappelle thing. Like this is Dave yeah, Chappelle's yeah. brother who pursued a serious acting career because they've got similar amounts of charisma and even comic mm. timing. Because Mike is also funny. He's yeah, really yeah. funny. But he's also completely menacing as well. Oh, yeah. But that's... Yeah, some of the best scenes in this episode were with him. I, th- I thought when he went into the typewriter store, that was awesome. And when he, you know, squares up with Ted Danson, that was awesome as well. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to a lot more of this guy, frankly. Uh, while we're talking about seafood-based parables... All right. You know, we had the lobster claw analogy. What about the oyster? Ripping the roof off your house and eating you. Yeah. Hmm. Are we going to have a clam? Are we know. going to have a clam NATO that tears the roof off of uh, Sheriff Larson's house and sucks yeah. him right out? It's going to be the aliens. They're going to tear the roof <laughs> it's off, going, and, and it's going to look exactly him. like an, their, their ship's going to look exactly like an oyster shell. There you go, and it's going to rip the roof off and just slurp him right up. Yep, and probe him for weeks. I I don't know, man. It's because it's a here's the thing: they are absolutely going for the alien shit this year oh yeah the the last shot of this like if you didn't episode? know that is the that's the first chapter of world war of the worlds the classic hg wells and later uh, yeah i mean i i don't know what order we want to talk about this stuff in but the, the voiceover at the very end mm-hmm. is a voiceover from this album by jeff wayne i guess called jeff wayne's musical version of war of the worlds and the song is called eve of war and oh, I didn't know that. On, I just right? knew that that was – I thought it was just some dude reading the book because that's a direct quote from the book too. It is, but that specific track, like that music okay. that comes after sure, it, sure. like the track starts that way with the quote and then it goes into that song. So like you get the impression from that, okay, we're, we are definitely on the eve of war, right? Both between Kansas City and the Gerhards and the Gerhards themselves. Yeah, so it works on that level. And, and the law in Kansas City and the, sure. the Gerhards and the law, like everybody's on the eve of war here. sure. Uh, but then it also works with the shot that they have where it pulls back and it pans up and you kind of see reflections uh-huh. in, in the glass of these blue lights, a lot like Rye saw in the first episode. Yeah. And it just, it really establishes that otherworldly, something is going on here feel. Plus they have the Mylar balloon that Molly found mm-hmm. that's kind of like, oh, swamp gas reflected off a weather balloon. <laughs> I, did you get any of that? Because that's the first I thing I thought but, when she, right, and it, it yeah. kind of... Lens flared off, and I'm like, oh, well, wasn't Rye super high on something when he killed the judge? Bug spray? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but I thought he, like, snorted something, or am I getting my... No, he did. Okay, because right I'm like, he went in there, we he just watched that episode of Breaking Bad where Jesse takes a half, tries to take a half measure, and yeah. and sometimes that stuff gets confused. But I'm like, no, Maybe the aliens were just a figment of his imagination, but then I'd like to direct your attention to the bald move monitor. Do you notice what's on in the television behind Ted Danson as he's reading the paper at the well, uh, breakfast table? It says Mars rotating around a planet that looks like Mars. Yeah, and then you have the War of the Worlds quote. So you're right. This War, War of the Worlds could be Kansas City coming, like casting envious eyes to North Dakota and wanting to sure. take it over. But there's also a lot of fucking direct references to aliens. Like the, I mean, the alien in the garage. Direct. Yeah, yeah. You see a UFO in the first episode and fly And the fact off. that I did not know this, but it's this is part of the Cohen's visual dictionary. They do have alien abduction stuff in their films. And hmm. 
That those okay. are so that's I wasn't aware of that either. Yeah, the so that's my objective this weekend. I want to see the man who wasn't there, uh, and also Miller's Crossing because then I've seen all of the stuff, and coincidentally, those are the most important. Uh, according to Noah, yeah, yeah, Holly, that's the most important references to the Cohen's. So, fuck yeah, I guess fuck my life. I'm trying to podcast on Fargo and not seeing the only two Cohen brothers movies that are the the references for this. But no, I this alien stuff has got some kind of legs and. Yeah. To be honest, it wouldn't disappoint me if it's a complete mylar balloon swamp gas reflection kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't disappoint me to have actual no shit aliens in Fargo. Also, let me tell you something I found on Reddit. Apparently, there is a incident in 1979 where a Minnesota sheriff's car was hit by a UFO. Like this is a famous okay. case in the UFO culture. I mean, couldn't they identify it after? It was hit, or did the thing it disappear? Did. So what the the sheriff said, he was driving down a road, and this bright light appeared like a mile and a half down the road and instantly overtook him and shined this light, and he felt completely powerless and helpless. Uh, and This sounds like a guy who was drunk on duty one night, crashed his car, and made up a story about Well, it. so I guess there's something oddly specific about the damage, but the thing that's really interesting mm-hmm. is that both his wristwatch... And the squad car, which they set the squad's radio, which is synchronized to the police station's time, were both exactly 14 minutes slow. <laughs> okay. And it's found to be otherwise. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 18 hours exactly. Jodie Foster yeah. happened to be driving a car. But, and I, look, I'm not saying that this guy got hit by a UFO. I'm just saying sure. that this is something out in the culture yeah. that happened in the 70s Minnesota, and it would not surprise me at all if. Something hinges on, and this time I'm ready for it. I'm ready. I'm braced for the fishnado. <laughs> I'm one. I'm one. I'm. I'm just like you know, big wave in the ocean. I'm just going to like just take it right so, on the chest. But this might be okay because I mean, you know, the the idea of sufficiently advanced technology being indistinguishable sure. from magic. I mean, there are so many things that an alien technology could do that you that if they say, hey, this is alien tech, as opposed to this is something that happens in nature on Earth, and it's such a coincidence at this point. Plus, to be honest, if you found out there's a little gray man driving around this Ed suit, yeah. it wouldn't shock you, right? Like, I mean, I'm a man in black style. When I've he's standing there, in black, yeah. When he's standing there in the fire, like the fireplace in all of his glory, uh-huh. in his striped socks, if his face had slid open and there's a little tiny man steering it, I would have been like, sure, why not? Yeah. Because he looks and acts kind of alien. A little bit. This is the point of podcast where I take back everything bad I said about Jesse yes, Clemens in the okay. last two weeks. I was going to ask you about that because, man, the performance he delivers. The nuance in his face mm-hmm. that he was displaying when he was confronting the bloody car. And uh, it doesn't help that you had the <laughs> music behind it, but uh-huh. I – Maybe he needed all the these roles of playing dopey dudes to get the reps to where he could play this particular dopey dude. Uh-huh. But I am really enjoying what Jesse Plemons is bringing to the Ed table. Yeah, which and is about scene... fifty pounds of ham. <laughs> and mean, he's got double dad bod here, right? He's got the dad bod of two men. Yeah, like a dad ate another dad. Uh-huh. That's the bod you'd get. But he's incredible. And just the visual of his. I don't know him in his underwear and his socks. And like the- I feel like in watching his performance for thirty seconds, I'm seeing a slightly less than intelligent 
average intelligence person wrestle with the weighty moral issue and the love he yeah. has for this wife and does she really love me and, and is this all a lie that I'm going it's it's incredible it's incredible and I don't know a lot of actors that could pull something like that off yeah yeah so I'm sorry Jesse Plemons <laughs> you are the man you you keep playing these roles because they're 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 needed so let let's talk a little bit more about this scene because when when he's standing there it pans down into the fire and we see something that clearly isn't going to burn. And I think that's potentially the belt buckle of, of, of uh, Rise. Yes. yes. That's what I got. Too. Could that very come game back of, to haunt? Very Game of Thronesy too. Yeah. See yeah. that wolf head belt or whatever the fuck it was I burning. I, 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 I thought uh, I was going to see uh, uh, old Lannister throwing Ned's sword to fire or something like that. Yeah. So that thing's not going to burn. <laughs> it's going to stay there. Is there which, any chance that comes back on? Which him? smells worse when you throw it on a fire? A wolf pelt, 500 year old sword scabbard or Jesse Plemons underwear? <laughs> Jesse Plemons underwear. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, wasn't sure. That's a man who's just been hunched over in a garage for hours assume, cleaning up blood. There's going to be moist. sweat. There's sure. going to be grunge maybe I, the hygiene's not the best because it's winter time and nobody showers every day when you're in north dakota winter yeah, time yeah yeah and i mean you know large men have a tendency to gather crud anyway do, they? So. do we i assume so that's that's yeah sizes jim may, maybe so maybe so but <laughs> i can't imagine that underwear is all that healthy at that point all right other than the uh the wolf pelt debate what were you gonna say uh does that does that bell buckle come back on him it's hard I to... Thought, see, what I thought was that the shoe that What's-His-Face found, that Ted mm. Danson found, mm. had some kind of ornament on it, and that's, this was the other one, mm. but I really think it's the belt buckle. I think it's the belt buckle, um, and I it seems hard to believe that it won't, but on the other hand, it's in the back of the fire grate, and who is How going... How could it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I And I, I don't know. Like, this is 1970-something... 79 i guess yeah uh and which wow that makes the that makes the uh sheriff ufo incident extremely relevant uh but you know todd seemed like he did a pretty good job cleaning up the crime scene i don't know what he's gonna do about the window and he seemed like he dodged the main bullet of body disposal like i don't know what he does with 160 pounds of whatever mcculky meat sausage mcculloch meat but ground beef ground yeah. ground Culkin. Yeah, ground Culkin. Uh I don't know what he's going to do with all that, but I assume that this is kind of going to be a situation like but who knows because there's thing with Fargo like I didn't see how Lester was going to get out of his little predicament. And then he framed yeah. his brother and the rest is history. So I it it's really hard and almost kind of pissing up a rope to try to guess where they're going to go with this show. But I agree. I can't see how it can is going to be a connection, but it's got to be. Yeah. So in the in the first season, that hammer comes back, but it's it's because that is a crime scene, right? Like that basement is being actively investigated. Whereas I don't know how his house would ever be investigated, unless the car window leads back. That's to the, the thing. House. Like, how are they going like, to get the car window fixed? I don't know. If they go I mean, to a garage and be like, I guess you got hit, I, I get hit by a deer yeah. or something. Or... But then they're all telling conflicting stories, it's, and this is a problem. Th- you know, that's the, that's another great Fargo element of these novice people committing big, big crimes and yeah. mo- kind of doing a lot of things smart, but you just... They need to, they need to have a powwow. Sit down, say, what story are we going to tell about what happened here? 
Yeah. Because they have been telling different stories. Uh, not not to leave Jesse Plemons, let's go over to the scene at, at the end with Lou where he's making the sausage. Uh, this is a grizzly. This is a horrible, horrible thing that's happening here. Uh-huh. But I love it. I absolutely loved every second of this scene from him grinding up Rye Did to, you think that- to Lou showing up. So as I was watching him do that, and this is something I don't notice on the first time through, but like the third time when I'm just kind of background watching this with my notes. Yeah. I looked up and I noticed like, uh, you know, Ed muscling in this leg and grinding it. And I'm like, yep, these arms and legs look surprisingly beefy <laughs> coming from Rye. And okay. I just assumed they'd just take body cast of his arms and legs and there mm-hmm. you go. But I do you think he just got stock legs or because... Yeah, maybe. I this this looked Probably like a much more quicker. strapping man than than uh Yeah. Kind of got thick meaty hands a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh maybe I or maybe I he's know. just got club feet. Like <laughs> maybe so. Big, big, big doughy honking. feet and hands. I mean those shoes were pretty big, right? Were they? It seemed like well, I mean they're super pointy, so who knows how I thought far I actually saw that size was size ten. Oh, it is? When, so when Ted Danson was kind Mike of rotating. Mike, actually? Yeah, which I thought was a little interesting. Oh. So that might point him in the wrong direction. Yes. That's where I'm seeing is that there's going to be, in the near the next few weeks, we're going to see a lot of people acting on good information and drawing the wrong conclusions from them. How good is that size 11, by the way? It's that gag? Pretty good. That was amazing. I was like, oh, they're both just giving it. Oh, oh, no. They're saying size 11. As were well. they, or were they just flipping him off, and that's something that Mike came know. up on with because he's quick witted, because he didn't want this to blow up. Maybe are the, are the Maybe. Kitchen Brothers actually mute, or they just don't talk? Because didn't one of them whisper something into his ear in this episode? Yeah, I, I don't know if they're mute. I, I don't remember them whispering, but I don't necessarily think they're mute either. I do think they're also still slightly goofy. Like I haven't warmed up yeah. to. They need to slide someone into a hole in in, in an ice lake for me to take them seriously as badasses. Although Mike is doing enough to kind of carry them. Like, Mike is a scary guy, and these are kind of his enforcers. Uh So How bad are they? Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of that kind of carrying over, but just... And I guess that's a very Fargo thing, too. Like, ruthless, scary people that look kind of pedestrian and maybe even Mm -hmm. dumb. Yeah. Yeah, but going back to this this scene at the end uh, with Lou, I, I thought you know Jesse Plemons does a hell of a job here, just with this this forced smile that he's got this whole time, mm-hmm. and he plays it way cooler than I thought he could have. Like I don't think Lester at no, the beginning God. of last season plays it nearly this. Cool. I thought that's what we were going to. We were heading to Lester Town, but yeah. Je- and he there's a couple of things, but. Here I think his slightly slow reputation probably helps him out because Lou's thinking. Yeah. Oh, well, I just got this guy in a double shift, and you know, he's I might have tired. I him surprised a bit, him. Uh-huh. He's all, and he's always been kind of slow. So I, I, yeah. I was going to ask you: Does Lou suspect a thing? I don't think so. No. Do you think Lou will suspect something in retrospect, though? Like he'll, mm. he'll I, see something else that makes him think, you know, Jesse it was a little off. Jesse that Plemons night. acting a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. And what is so? But I mean, the, the the sausage thing immediately made me think of the wood chipper in Fargo, right? Yeah. I know a guy on the forums had a problem with being able to successfully grind uh, an entire human leg. (laughs) What? What? Yeah. He he has had problems with this in the past? No, no, no. He just found this incredible. He found it hard to believe that you could grind up human body, bones, and all. And I 
Hmm. When I think about it, I'm like, okay, I believe an industrial commercial grade meat grinder could probably do that. Yeah. It might clog the, you know, it's like, I don't know why you got the ground beef filter on it. You know, you could just like take that like grate off and just have it grind out and do whatever with it. And yeah. also, I'm not sure exactly what he's going to do with all this human remains. Like, surely the God not going to sell he's, it. Please, please don't sell this. I, I could see a scenario in which next episode he finishes just as his boss comes in and says, oh, you did some good early grinding, huh? Let's take this stuff out for sale. Like, there could be some fucked up stuff going on next episode. Well, I got something to talk about him is in relation with his boss. But I actually went back and watched that scene again after I was talking to this guy in the forum. And I think that there's, like, bits of white and gristle and stuff. Like, I do think mm-hmm. they're suggesting, yes, the entire body, bones and all, are being ground successful. And I don't know if that's possible or not, but that's what Fargo is positing. So. I mean, are we not, like, I really see this next episode going badly here. Well, so here's the thing. Because the scenario they've set up, right, is he took a day off work. Uh You can see him saying, getting caught kind of in the act, like right after it's over. Uh His boss comes in and says, oh, thanks for grinding us up. He's like, yeah, I I wanted to come in early to make up for yesterday's absence. And he can't say anything about this meat. And I, I don't know. Things could go real bad. So here's the thing. I don't know if the time works out. Because it was only like... Not even quite 11 o'clock when Lou stopped by. But he was nowhere near done. Oh, see, I thought he was. Like, it looked like he had an arm and a head left. I thought he still had a torso to go. Like, how do you grind up a pelvis? Like, a pelvic bone is going to yeah. take some fucking grinding, man. But there again, The skull like, is going to take some grinding. Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing. Like, I don't think he can grind a skull. Right? There's just too much hair and teeth and shit. (laughs) I would think so. Is he going to take the head with him? I don't know. Like, I I honestly don't Uh, know. And that's probably a very Fargo possibility that they're going to unwittingly sell some of Rye. I I have a bad feeling that that's going to happen. Wow. Uh, What did you think about when Peggy comes into the butcher shop and essentially tells, uh, is it Bud? Whatever his boss's name is. Bud's Meats. He tells Bud that she's he's you know he overdid it with the oysters or clams which is another you know don't trust anything to uh-huh. see there's another seafood reference in in relation to crime and bad things happening he looked at her kind of skeptically as she walks out the door and we know in the last episode that he seems like he thought thinks a lot of it do you think that this is going to be like ed never calls in sick and this is kind of weird and that it's going to make him come in a little early or Maybe so. There's it's just there's not a so I think he's gonna get finished two, three o'clock in the morning, come into work next day and So you gonna, think this is this is good. This is done. Uh he, he's gotten no, no, away no. with it. No, there's gonna he's gonna do something stupid, like there'll be a pound or two of that ground beef because I'm I'm assuming he's gonna package all this up and then like put it in his truck and then go dump it somewhere. So if he okay. ever gets stopped, it's like, yeah, my buddy wanted because that happens, right? Your buddy shoots a deer and you're gonna do him a yeah. solid, you're gonna, you know, dress it up and all that stuff. And so you know, that's an airtight thing, and then he gets or, the place perfect and dumps story, it. we hit the deer. Yeah, sure. Might as well not waste it. Grind it up, make it into some sausage. Yeah. He's got a story there ready to be told, but I don't yeah. know that he's smart enough to tell it. But there's something, frankly. there's already some kind of skepticism in his boss, I thought, that surprised me from as yeah. much as they seem to get along. The fact that he was wanting to sell this company to him, maybe this is putting some doubt, or he's just going to sit down and have, hey, I need to have a talk with you. I don't know if that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. So I think he was surprised, right? By that. 
But I do also like the fact that they're going to sell some rye. You can have some rye on rye. Oh. <laughs> a uh, Frisco rye sandwich. I guess we should talk about Peggy, yeah? Yeah, let's talk about Peggy. She's gotten wrapped Peggy. up in a uh, seminar seductress situation. Yeah, and she's stealing toilet paper, and like, there, there's a lot of stuff going on with Peggy. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, there's a Rock County bus that's taking people to work in the morning. I said the same what thing. What the fuck? Our, like, that's the most... I've lived in big cities <laughs> that have fucked up public transportation, uh-huh. and this goddamn place has got a functional bus route? I don't buy it. Nah. I don't buy it for a nah. second. Nah. No, me, no, no. 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 I mean, he should have just taken her in in his truck. Yeah, if you, if you, got, if you got mass transport anywhere outside the Twin City region... Yeah. I don't believe it. <laughs> like, you can tell me in 2015, you can send me pictures of the bus, and I'm not going to believe you. Yeah. I'm not. My notes say that this is the least believable part of the episode. <laughs> yeah. And I, I firmly believe that. Like, um, I'll believe aliens destroying police cars before I believe that yeah. you're going to get some functional transportation system in Fargo, North Dakota. Yep. Or Laverne, Minnesota, which, take your pick. But, yeah, there's clearly something going on. Um, her boss wants her to go to this seminar. Um, she's kind of pushing her forward on, I don't know if it's necessarily that she wants her to succeed in her dreams or she wants oh, no. her to, to she's get recruiting. better than, than Ed she's, no, and no. leave Ed. She's recruiting for the other team is what she's doing. Yeah. I mean, it becomes apparent throughout the episode that that's what she's into. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where Peggy stands on that because she kind of, she shies away from it, but I don't know that she shies away because it's offensive to her or if. She's just uncomfortable in general. See, I got the that there's there she's barking up the wrong tree. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I don't think Peggy I think Peggy does not want to be with Ed for the rest of her life and thinks she can do a lot better. Certainly, yeah. And wants to actualize herself in that direction, but mm-hmm. I don't think that he means she's gonna actualize herself in the way of toilet paper woman's direction. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And and that's gonna be it wouldn't surprise me if she ends up having to murder her. Maybe so. Because, again, it's like, she knows that's crazy, up. but this is Fargo, and that'd be a very Fargo thing to do. Yeah, and, and you clearly get the impression that she knows that something is up here. Yeah. Peggy's not telling her the whole truth about this windshield, and uh, something's no, and, going and, on. And so, so many people are seeing so many bullshit versions of this story, it's yeah. going to catch up to them. But yeah. that She does feel like the season two Lester Nygaard, though, mm-hmm. that she's going to get a taste for this kind of thing, and then... Hey, this solves all life's problems. Can you grind me? I got uh, this. This woman hit on me, Ed. Can you grind her up too? Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Ed. Uh, I, I, so I don't know where where Peggy's headed right now, but it seems clear that she's not satisfied in her current life. She doesn't know what direction to take to get out of it. Well, plus having but someone kind of over to your to house when you've got a murder car parked in your garage that you don't even know if your husband's successfully cleaned. Like, I get it that yeah. she needed to ride home because I guess the bus is only one way. It'll take you right. in. Right. It'll take you out. But even that seems dumb. Like, I don't no. want anyone near my house. Yeah, like, look, you can't come in. It's uh, my husband's puking clam guts all over the place. You cannot go inside. yet. Yeah, or I'm, just like, hey, Ed, come pick me up from work. Yeah. Today. But they only got the one fucked up car, right? No, he's got a truck. Oh yeah, that he sits in. So yeah. like, but I guess he had to get the busy grinding the meats. I, when did she get off work? I don't know because Ed like, also did a lot of Ed did night. did a lot of hard staring at his wife getting in the car with the the uh, you know yeah. the seminar seductress as well. So mm-hmm. maybe Ed's the one that's going to end up killing her. 
I don't know. Fit of some kind of misplaced jealousy. Could be. But I do think she's going to die. All right. Uh, What did you think of something I picked up on Alan Seppenwall's review? Lou Tie and Knots. I guess the old Lou, that's something that he did as kind of a a nervous habit or not a nervous huh. habit or like a pondering thing. Like he was always in the coffee diner doing knots when there weren't customers. I don't recall. I don't remember that too, that, yeah. but it, I do feel like Patrick Wilson, that's the guy's name, right? Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of physical resemblance to Mr. Carradine, uh-huh. but that kind of, but he does seem to have adopted a lot of the mannerisms in a very, in the same way that Ewan McGregor, Apes Alec McGinnis's mannerisms enough that even though they didn't look a lot the same, they mm-hmm. it's like yes, that's obviously a young. I feel like he's really crushing the young Lou aspect. I think so, and just his you know his manner. Um, what else do we want to talk about? I want to talk about uh, Lou's wife. Okay, which uh, Betsy is her name? Yeah, she's getting some cancer she's, treatment. She's getting episode. chemo, and yeah. And Lou knows this, and he's got a free lunch because his Fargo situation's gotten all, you know, he's, he's it's now being taken over from local matter, and there's some chain of command BS. But he goes in, like, to a fugue state as soon as he sees the Waffle Hut and mm-hmm. kind of ignores his family and sends him out to play in the snow. And I thought that they were showing Betsy in a lot of obvious physical distress. Like she's game and she's, you know, going to go out and make the best of the situation, but she really shouldn't be doing this in her condition. I wonder if they're going to be some kind of tragedy there where, you know, could be lose being wrapped up in this casework ends up, you know, being a detrimental to her health and what's that going to mean to Molly. And I mean, her Molly and him seem solid in future Fargo. Yeah. So it can't be something that's like just a complete disaster. You killed mom. Yeah. There's not going to be any of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know, man. She seemed like she was in really rough shape when she stood up too fast after finding the gun. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I, another thing I want to talk about in that scene when she finds the gun, uh, he's inside and he's examining the, the bug the crime scene. Sure. This bug spray. I love how it's set up. Like, like it's another condiment, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like that's Fario, right? There's poison mixed in with the rest of it. Sure. And it, you might not notice it right away. It's just adding a hint of flavor, but it's there. Uh-huh. And it's killing everything. Uh, so in that scene, they they see um, Mike drive by in his car, right? Yep. And, you know, they stop him later on down the road. But... You notice that Joe Bulow is gone. He was in the car before. Now he's gone. Where do you think he went? Slid into an ice hole. <laughs> I, I, I highly doubt it. Uh, he's he's camped out somewhere in town, right? He's got to be. Or maybe he went back and these guys are... Because their whole mission is to find Rye now. Yeah. And Big Joe... Well, this is the car they rode in on. So, I mean, maybe mm. they dropped him off at like an airport or something, but... He took the bus. He took... Yeah. The magic bus that just takes you wherever you need to go. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought it was curious that he was absent in this. You car. know, I didn't even pick up on that. I don't. I don't know where he is. I didn't though. pick up as the same car. I didn't like. Yeah, I. I didn't pick up on any of that stuff. Oh, okay. So, yeah, okay. I, I. I don't. I don't know where he's at. Um, that'll be. We'll find out. I'm sure. So Dodd, this is something we talked about at the beginning. I forgot to bring it up. Dodd sidles up to Indian Joe, and says, "Are you with me?" Yeah. Is Indian Joe with him? Uh, I think so. Indian Joe so. seems smart to me, mm-hmm. and backing Dodd's not the smart play. 
Like it would be kind of Fargo esque right. for him to be in the mama's back pocket the whole time. And Dot is just you So know. there's a question of loyalty versus intelligence, right? Hmm. Those are two things that I feel like in this universe with this character are at odds. Who does he feel more loyal to? Wouldn't he feel like I guess he works with Dodd closely, but you know, this is the old man's widow who's formidable in herself, and he's got to know that. Yeah, there's something about the way he says, like, when she says, give us the room, and he's like, not you, and Indian Joe stays. There's something about that that tells me he's more loyal to Dodd than he is to But here's the, the other family. thing I think is interesting, is yeah. the one thing we see him doing for Dodd is the exact same thing that his mother wanted, which mm-hmm. is fine, fine rye. rye. So I'm going to be looking very closely to see Indian Joe acting in direct disobedience or directly against uh you know mama gerhardt's orders yeah because i kind of suspect that he's in her pocket okay and that like she's i'm not entirely sure like, several steps ahead of dodd and that doesn't mean that she'll win because dodd could just do some shocking act of familial violence that blows the sure that she's not willing to do to blows the blows the roof the roof off of this thing much like uh yeah. like so many oysters and clams <laughs> But yeah, that ambition versus loyalty is also an interesting one, right? Yeah, yeah. There could be some some bad stuff to go down in this family. And I also like how committed is Todd to this court, Dodd rather to this course. Will he would he kill his brother? I don't know. Like the brothers, they seem like they've got some. St- but that's you know it's hard to tell with brothers. Like you can have a lot of rivalry going on, but you're not going to kill your fucking brother. Sure. Yeah. Like Peyton Manning and Eli, I don't think ever seriously almost murdered each other, even though they've got quite. Quite the rivalry in the family, uh, from all accounts. Uh-huh. So I don't know. That's something I've I'm going to be w- watching closely. Shoot. So I'm I'm confused about the name of this episode. Oh uh, uh, yes. We need to talk about this because it's kind of the elephant in the room. Before the law. Before the law is a story, a short story written by uh, Frank Kafka. That's part of a larger story. Oh, is it? I think it's like in the middle of this story. He's uh, he's he's telling. He's he puts his parable. I don't know anything about the larger story. Okay, I uh, did a little bit more. Re- I was I was okay. in the midst of my research when you came in to read that. Yeah. Okay, so the story, in its essence, is about uh, a man who is trying to gain access to the law, which, in the version of the story I read, is not capitalized, so it's not a proper noun. It's not uh-huh. a thing. Um, I, I I don't know what the law is in this story, but it's a man who wants to gain access to the law. There's a gatekeeper keeping him out. Um, he says, "Not only am I a gatekeeper, but there are I'm the weaker of the three gatekeepers." He's already an imposing looking man. Like he's described he is, as yeah. kind of like this this dark, dangerous looking guy in a long coat, and you know he's intimidating looking. Yeah. And so you see him, and he says to the man, "There are two others in there. The third one, which of which I can't even look at, he's so fucking because scary. he's so so fucking scary." Uh, and so this man. Is is denied permission to go inside. He decides, well, I need permission because these guys. But the are door's so scary. wide open. The gate's wide open. Yeah. So he he posts up. He sits outside this gate for his entire life. And during the course of this of his life, he's trying to bribe the gatekeeper to Cajole let him in. Him. Yeah. Get, tell tell him stories. All this stuff to try and get inside the law. Um, and he he eventually never does. Mm-hmm. At the end of it. The man has one question. He says, why has no one ever, no one else ever tried to gain access to yeah, the Yeah, why am I the only one that showed up this whole time? And the gatekeeper tells him, because this is your entrance. This is only for you, and yeah. you're about to die. As soon as you do, I'm closing it up forever. I'm puzzled by this story, <laughs> man. Uh, 
So I can see a couple of things that I can try and read into where uh-huh. there's this kind of, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained sort of thing yeah. where the man never even tried to get inside because of the intimidation. He didn't know if there were, in fact, two more gatekeepers inside. Sure. Maybe there's a little bit of that. But there's also one of the key things is when the guy tries to bribe the guard, the gatekeeper takes his bribes, but he says, I'm only taking this so you don't feel like a failure. Yeah. There's a couple ways maybe that ties in. Like, for example, when Mike is talking to Sheriff Larson, there's a little bit of that where I'm letting you hassle me and question me so you don't feel like you're a shitty policeman. But yeah, yeah. you and I both know that we could draw and put holes in you and leave you in this abandoned highway or this lonely abandoned road. I mean, because that was the menacing thing. Like, yeah. Isn't it amazing that these two guys in this world of madness can talk on this long, deserted stretch of road calmly and rashly? That's the uh, implication is I could kill you and never be discovered, never be caught. Yeah. And if this wasn't calm and rational, it would go badly for you. Yeah. The reason why you have nothing to fear from us is because we have nothing to fear from you. You've got n- nothing on us. Yeah. And so maybe Mike is the first gatekeeper, which implies is there two other scarier gatekeepers? Or is this Kansas City thing a charade so. where he is the big bad? And if you can get past him, then it's game over. There's nothing stopping you. Yeah. Uh, the, the other way you could read this is kind of from Ed's perspective. Yes. Where he is essentially toiling away his entire life with only or i guess not even ed's perspective like peggy's perspective like she she knows there's something greater out there Mm -hmm. the law Mm -hmm. uh whatever that is and it is only fear that keeps her from accessing it right Mm -hmm. like if she could just simply walk through this gate past this gatekeeper maybe an entire world would be open to her but it's it's kind of that futile toiling away for nothing over the course of your entire life because you're too scared to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of set and locked in your ways. I think it's it will also apply to Ed in the same way that he... I think so, yeah. He know, he knows he should do something, and it's within his power to do it, but he doesn't do it because of this hold that Peggy has on him. Yeah. So she is effectively, I guess, the gatekeeper for him. I suppose His so. life. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even understand. Like, none of these dreams that she has are his dreams, although I guess, I mean... Does Ed really want to buy the butcher shop? I, I, I see a lot of people. You, know, you see a lot of people do that. Like yeah, they're in a job that they don't. It's not a job that they chose. It's, a, you yeah. know, maybe they got in the first thing they did out of college and like I'm going to move on. But then you get a promotion and another promotion. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, man. And it's, it's like, a clear path. It's like there's like the sunk cost fallacy writ large. Like, well, uh-huh. Man, if I go and try to do the thing that I've always wanted to do, then I'm about to start all over, and that's a scary. As you know, you and I both know that's that's a scary thing. Sure, a lot of sober reflection uh, <laughs> to do something like that. Uh-huh. I I don't know. I I honestly I don't feel like I'm smart enough to get all of the cultural references in a way that like True Detective pitches it pretty high with snooty references to Nishi oh, yeah. and all that stuff. But it's always, like, fairly in your face, the connection. Mm-hmm. As much as I love that show, like, you don't have to dig very deep to find why this quote is there or why this title is there. Whereas, like, last year, yeah. you could think about, like, what did Burden's ass mean in relation to Key and Peel? Yeah. And, you know, Lorne and all that stuff. For, you could meditate on that for hours and not know exactly what it meant. 
Yeah, they always just hint at themes in this show. And, and you I, don't need any of that information to enjoy the show. Absolutely. Um, or even to enjoy it on the next level. Because I so, sometimes I wonder if this is just a more refined version of what Nick Pizzolatto does on True Detective, where it's like, yes, these are there for if you if, if you took these courses in college or if well-read, you enjoy it, you can think about it, and it enhances it, and it kind of gives... Mm-hmm. It's another part, just like the music is a part and the cinematography and the gorgeous composition of the shots are, you don't need that to enjoy the main story, but it's this all goes into the stew that makes the show great. And even on a subconscious, you know, a pretentious tie like before the law Mm -hmm. gives you a certain mindset. Hell, most people watching Fargo probably don't even pay attention to what the episodes are called. Yeah. I I mean, if I'm watching this on cable, I don't know and I don't care. Right. So it's good that it works without it. <laughs> yeah. But no, I I do feel like this is one of the shows where even when I understand the references and I've researched the references and I've I'm familiar and I got a good grasp material, mm-hmm. I still don't know quite what they're getting at, but I don't think it's nothing. But the thing that I like about it is it encourages this conversation and it encourages you to kind of think about this show thematically yeah. in a way that a lot of other shows you don't. Yeah. But I keep thinking about the ends email last week where she just deconstructed beautifully the whole theater of the absurd oh yeah yeah uh and how as weird as that's something me and Seth were chuckling back and forth as we were watching it the other night is like yep theater of the absurd like fargo embodies that oh yeah kind of feeling so i i I, you know it's like next week i think we got a kierkegaard reference and what ann said about that kind of blew my mind about the fact that abraham embracing the absurdity of asking for your sons to mm-hmm. be killed and just like, okay, whatever I go along with it is, is key to getting his son back. Sure. Like in get giving in and embracing the illogical is, is sometimes the only way to proceed. And I wonder how that's going to tie into like Ed and Peggy's story and yeah. And the war between Fargo and Kansas city. It's super interesting. I think so. And shows again, gorgeous to look at. So I, I think next episode is called The Myth of Sisyphus. Is that right? Ah, okay. You might be right. I know that's one of them. <laughs> yeah, it, it is one of them. And I feel like that might, like now that we kind of know that everyone's set on Finding Rye, I could totally see that being the crux of the episode. Uh-huh. Like, obviously they can't find him. It's yeah. a futile task. It's endless. Sure. There's no there's no trace of him left. So or it could be, good luck. It could be Ed trying to get back to a normal life too. That, that too, yeah. Uh, it could be multiple things, you know? And it could be that you have to keep watching to see how it pans out. Maybe so. So. Anything else? We'll probably talk for 10, 15 minutes on it and have no good answers for you next week. So you got that to look forward to. Oh, the other thing, um, the Mars shot I talked about with Ted Danson, I'm going to put in the show notes, the UFO story, uh, 1979 UFO involving a Minnesota sheriff's car. I'm going to, I'm going to put in the show notes and also sure. Peggy's crime. Uh, is based on a real event. Some woman in 2001 struck a homeless man. He embedded himself in his windshield. She drove him home and he died over the course of a day or two in her garage. I want to say I heard about this. I know, I this heard episode. about this too. And, yeah. and then I saw this on Reddit and I looked at it and got familiar. I, and I didn't know what ended up happening, but she got sentenced to 50 years in jail for Christ. Her, yeah. For her for uh, role in this involuntary manslaughter or for well, the aftermath. I don't think, she would have gotten shit if she just ran because this guy apparently was drunk and stepped out in front of her. But the fact that you wow. drove home with a guy in your car 
wounded, still alive, and then just left him in the garage for two days. Yeah, and tried to cover. That's that's where you get fucked. Yeah, it's like who does that? <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna put all those things in the show notes if you wanna if you wanna read more. And uh, what the hell? Also link to the Before the Law short story if you wanna meditate over that and drive yourself crazy. Okay. Uh, Jill, first up, feedback. You questioned the filming location of Fargo, and I wanted to mention that Fargo is filmed in my home city, Calgary, in Alberta, Canada. Hmm. I know that the production was done here and that filming also included smaller towns an hour's drive south of our city. However, in watching this episode, I was amazed to see so many local landmarks. It's amazing how dressing a scene can really make it look like it's from a different time and place. Calgary is a large, urban, modern city with a population of over a million. But all the filming is done in areas that would be considered quaint neighborhoods with historically protected buildings, therefore giving it a small-town vintage look. Hmm. Thank God for the historical preservation societies, or else how would we have these period shows? I don't know. Small-town America, USA. They'd all be stage sets, whatever. I was most surprised to see the house that Lou lives in is located just around the corner from my own. I have attached a couple pictures of the house and notification of filming that was up in March, which means if you you could you could have walked around a house and maybe gotten gotten into the uh, the episode because hmm. I, I learned from Vince Gilligan on the Inside Breaking Bad Insider podcast that they do that they when they put up those notice filming in this location and so if they accidentally catch you in the background that they don't yeah. have to get your release or, or permission to mm-hmm. to put you in the episode. Uh, our community is standard residential built in the sixties. The style of that particular house does stand out compared to most of the typical bungalows that surround it. Um, but yeah, I guess there's a lot. She talked about, there's a lot of, uh, filming going on in Calgary that's currently hell on wheels is filmed there. Hmm. Uh, broke back mountain was filmed around the, cause the Rockies go up into the Canada, the sure. Canadian Rockies. We don't have a monopoly on the Rockies. We don't. We don't. <laughs> we might have to uh, invade or something because that's a strategic yeah. natural resource. <laughs> the high ground. The high ground. <laughs> you can't get. You can't see the high ground to Canada. <laughs> Hell no. God knows what they'll do with it. Those maple loving bastards. Uh, but thanks for that background information. I, I enjoy that. Uh, we actually had in Cincinnati, in our fair city, uh, Bruce Willis is filming something. Yeah. Did you ever get in on that? Because I know no. you were kind of interested in trying to be an extra for it. Yeah, they were doing an extra call, and I, I like, didn't. Like, oh, I have to drive downtown yeah, and stand in a parking, line. Parking. Uh, there's a burrito across the street I need to eat. <laughs> uh, Michael S. said, Ted Danza's determined the fright, or determined fright, during the confrontation with the Kansas City gangsters was palpable. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this can be better than season one? Man, we're two episodes is that an in. Inter- yeah, is that an interesting debate? The fact that you're we're having someone bringing up the debate in the second episode kind of implies that, of course, it can be better than season one. Could it be? Okay, so is it is a different question from could it be? Sure. Could it be? Sure. Sure. And I'll even go so far as to say that I don't know that I considered Fargo one of the best things on television until it was over because there's always the possibility that they'll fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy and to tell. And that's why I don't want to say, is it? It's really easy to tell an interesting, involved story with lots of mysteries. And <laughs> that can you tie that yeah. up in a satisfying way that doesn't have your audience saying, what the fuck? Yeah. That said, that I don't have any doubts in this show. I think this this season looks better. Like, mm-hmm. and not like better in, in a concrete way, but I think just making it Stylistically. vintage. Yeah, having a period piece automatically just raises a difficulty, and I think that in the back of my mind is making me say this is better, or like I don't see, you know, stuff like I'm seeing in the Solverson home and the decoration and the attention to detail and how the cars look. I, I automatically think that looks cooler. Yeah, so it's you. got potential for sure. 
and they, it feels a little bit more like the movie Fargo too. A little bit. And kind of. I know set, what you're saying. I, I know Fargo's kind of set between these two shows, but right. I, I, the cars feel a little more Fargo. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, it's Fargo was in. Well, it wasn't a period piece at the time, right? I. I, I I don't know. I think it might have been maybe slightly been, maybe less maybe than been, But when you watch it today, it feels like a period piece because it's yeah. set, you know, the, the setting and we're 20 years from I want to say it was in the 80s. I thought it was in the early 90s and that Fargo came out in the mid to late 90s. Maybe it was and it just takes the Midwest a while to catch up. Well, that's the other thing. We're yeah. always kind of a decade behind the coasts and how yeah. our buildings Fashion, look. Fashion, yeah, architecture, yeah. Uh, Dan from Manchester says, quick observation. Every time Lester had an evil idea or transformation in season one, there was a musical cue of like a Christmas-esque bell sound. This musical cue could be heard when Peggy hit Rye last episode when we saw her reaction. Hmm. And this one is particularly interesting when Fat Damon hit her in the eye by mistake post-murder. Is that a signal that she will definitely be in this or this season's Lester? I think that she will be used, using the bruised face to get away with her involvement in the murder, possibly saying that he beat her as she tried to stop him murdering Rye. Yeah, she Shit. totally set him up this episode. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, Ed got in a scuffle and uh-huh. or kerfluffle, whatever it and is. And she showed she her face in public that had the bruise. Yeah. He stayed away. Yeah. He concludes by saying, I think we'll see her stop at nothing to get to her new life in California. Yeah, man, yeah. I didn't make that connection, but that's I could totally see her panicking and you know sobbing and telling the story to the police and oh yeah, who would have thought the Ed had it in him, eh? <laughs> Shocking. Um, sure. Barry C. Not sure where this is coming from, but do you see an Emmy deserving performance coming from Ted Danson by the time the series finishes? The scene where he stops Mike and the brothers showed a subtle fear and vulnerability that, in my opinion, was hard to pull off. It seems he may fill a similar role to Lou in the previous season, a role which I am very much enjoyed. I think that if this keeps up, we're probably going to see Fargo get a lot of Emmys. because yeah, both on the cast and crew side. I think. And, and I don't know how you honestly, like, yes, what Ted Danson's doing is an amazing and outside what I would consider his performance envelope. Mm-hmm. I mean, did, did we talk about this on the podcast or before, like, it might have been during lunch where Ted Danson in the twilight of his life, let alone career, mm-hmm. steps out of the cheers box and <laughs> steps out of the Becker box and Becker box <laughs> and does this. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Who the fuck calls Ted Danson? I got the perfect part for you. It's a small town, Minnesota sheriff. And you're going to, I, I and, and, but Jesse Plemons is knocking out of the park. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Kirsten Wilson. Dunst, like everybody is. Everyone. Uh, I don't know what her name is, but Betsy, uh, you know, Molly's mom is doing mm-hmm. really interesting work. Yeah. Uh, Mama Gerhart. Like everyone's doing really quality punching way above the weight. Bear, the guy from fucking Mule. <laughs> Angus Sampson, sure. Damn. Who has a fucking awesome name, by the way. <laughs> Angus Sampson. That is. That sounds like the new sandwich coming out of Hardee's and Carl's Jr. It totally does. 100% Angus Sampson. <laughs> it's enough to kill a Philistine. 100% rye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it didn't do too badly in the Emmys last year, but I could see it getting a lot. But yeah. the Emmys is kind of a crapshoot, too. Yeah. Having said that, this show with its big, splashy, individual scene performances, like I feel that it's kind of 
stacking the deck to win Emmys because you could submit an episode like this one for Ted Danson and like, yeah. okay, that's awesome. You it's, don't you don't need to know anything else about the characters because we don't other yeah. than what we're seeing on the screen and it's amazing. You know what other show is doing those hyper focused character moments and uh, knocking that, it out of the fucking would that be park? The leftovers? Yes, it's going to be heavy competition. Yeah, the leftovers I could also see just sweeping yeah i saw some some chatter on our forum about maybe melissa mcbride finally getting an emmy nod on no come on don't get her hopes up i'm she's doing really good work but really when you look at what's on right now yeah yeah walk and walking dead has never been better than it is and it's getting blown off the stage by fargo and the leftovers they're amazing nothing away from melissa but no, she's doing really good work on a solid show. Walking Dead is not like I'm. I'm. I'm not being ironic. I'm getting pure pleasure from The Walking Dead right now. Yeah, but this stuff is on a other level. Other level. Yep. Uh, that's all we got for feedback. You can send more to Fargo at baldmove.com or get on our forums baldmove.com to discuss it with our fellow fans and Jim and I. Uh, all right, I'm cool. super excited for next week. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be back with another podcast on Wednesday of next week. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya.